Parunity Podcast. Tonight will be a very intriguing night. We pull away from the normal bumps in the night, shadows on the wall, and mists in the room. Tonight we branch out to another piece of the paranormal pie and pursue the answers to a question that has puzzled minds for generations. We will sit back, stare into the stars, and ask, are we alone in the universe? Our guest tonight knows the answer to this question and plans to fill us in on what we need to know about our visitors from the heavens. He is a chief field investigator, member of the STAR team, member of the Experiencer Research Team, as well as the Assistant State Director for the Southern California region with MUFON. Please welcome to the Parunity Podcast, Mr. Earl Gray. Earl, how you doing tonight? Hey, I'm doing good. How are you doing, Brandon? I'm doing great. I'm glad you're able to get a chance to be on the show. Yeah, me too. It's, this is going to be fun. We've, we've talked about this a bit, but it's good to finally get to do this. Absolutely. So. Well, let's go ahead and get it started, Earl. Um, what got you interested in UFOs and extraterrestrials? Ah, that's a long story, but I'm going to try to make it short. Uh, when I was growing up, my mom, when I was very young, I, I was five years old or, and younger, she started talking about her work for Howard Hughes, Hughes Aircraft out here. Uh, she worked at the Sepulveda Hughes uh, Aircraft plant, and she actually was Howard Hughes's one of his two private secretaries. Uh, now, my mom was a, a whiz at dictation. She was very good at – she did the shorthand thing. This was – Back before computers and, 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 you know, they sort of had their whole little language. Um, and my mom always did that when I was, you know, all the way to, you know, she passed away back in 1999. But uh, she would take her you know, grocery list would be in shorthand. You couldn't read any of her notes. You know? <laughs> it's, it's Greek to me anyway, but it was shorthand. And uh, so my mom would be the person who is taking notes at high-powered uh, meetings with government officials. Uh, you know, this was – Howard Hughes was sort of an early defense contractor with the government. And uh, so my mom would be in these meetings. She would be hearing all these top classified secrets, and uh, and she would take the notes for the meetings. Um, well, my mom said that in the course of her work – that she found out that uh, that they believed and that our government believed that we were not alone in the universe, that it's actually, you know, you hear about SETI looking for radio signals from the stars and, and, and all this. But according to my mom, uh, the government already knows. And, and Howard Hughes and, and the people that worked with him, uh, there were people like, you know, uh, Von Braun and, and – and, uh, you know, a lot of the German scientists that we acquired through Operation uh, Paperclip at the end of World War II were working for Howard Hughes. And uh, my mom knew. Uh, she knew Von Braun. She said that, uh, that he was a charming man. <laughs> and, I, and, and that would bother me. You know, it's like, well, mom, he was a Nazi, wasn't he? I mean, and she said, no, he actually, you know, he was forced to to work for, for the Nazis or they, they would have killed him and his family. But he, he wanted to go to the moon. He wanted to, you know, he wanted to use rocketry to get humanity into outer space. And that was his, the sum total of what he wanted to do. So he was thrilled at the end of the war. He actually was one of the guys that gave himself up 
um, in hopes to work for us. And, and that's what he did. Um, so, but my mom told a lot of weird stories. And one of them was, was that uh, they sent her out on this one, uh, this one mission to the middle of nowhere. She said it was in the middle of the desert. She didn't say which desert, but she lived out here in Los Angeles. It was 1956, I believe. Uh, it was the, you know, the second half of the 1950s that my mom was working for Hughes. So they, they took her out to the middle of nowhere. She had a little security detail and they took her to what looked like a pump house. Uh, they opened the doors up to this pump house looking like shack and there's an elevator <laughs> and the elevator had one direction. It didn't go up, it went down, you know, and then I guess it would come back, obviously come back up to the surface. So my mom, apparently they didn't give her any warning. They just sent her out uh, and maybe they wanted to see how she would, you know, how she would react psychologically to something like that. Uh, so she went in this elevator and she said that it kept on going down underground to where she felt butterflies in her stomach is how she described it. Uh, the doors opened up and she said there was a little city down there that they had barber shops. They had drug stores, movie theater, bowling alley. Uh, they had uh, little uh, like cafes. She said they had one cafe where it had these tables with little yellow umbrellas over them. And she thought it was so funny because you don't really need an umbrella, you know, a parasol in a cave. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I guess, you know, it was to, to make people feel comfortable at home because they were spending uh, long periods of time down there. And my mom said that they, you know, that they were working on esoteric projects. And she would tell that story to me. And then the other story that she would talk about would be extraterrestrials. She would, you know, because I always had a propensity for outer space. I, I loved the, you know, the Gemini program. And when I was growing up, of course, you know, I'm I'm 62 in a couple of weeks here. So I was right at that age where I was just completely engulfed by the space race. And growing up, that was that was sort of my sports and, and, and everything. I was so interested in it. So my mom was kind of free with, with talking about this. She said that we weren't alone, that there were different races, uh, that uh, when when I got older, I took her to see the, mo the movie Star Wars when it came out. And she got very voluble and talkative. She said, you have no idea how close to the truth that is, son, that there are different races. You know, they have ships, uh, you know, from different star systems. And uh, she said, it's it's very, very real. It's realer than you will ever know. And that was kind of how she ended the conversation. It's realer than you will ever know, son. Um, as time went on, my mom actually went back to work uh, in aerospace. Uh, she tried to be a housewife for, for about 20 years or so. And uh, she wound up uh, going back and working as a headhunter for Lockheed Skunk Works, uh, Rockwell, Northrop, and, and uh, all, all the major players out there, the military-industrial complex, more or less. Sure. And uh, so she stopped talking because suddenly her, her uh, security clearances were important to her again, you know. 
Um, so it was very frustrating because on one hand, I knew that we weren't alone. Uh, you know, my mom, she, she had the background, you, you knew, I knew it was true because of, of the work that she was doing. You know, I mean, you don't work for Lockheed Skunk Works out of, uh, you have to have security clearances. You have to, you have to have a background in that. They're very, uh, very, very careful to keep people sort of in that s- small enclosed group. So I needed to find my own answers, and that's what led me to join MUFON, the the Mutual UFO Network. Um, We're the oldest UFO investigatory group in the world. Uh, We've been in existence since 1969, right around when uh, the Air Force closed up Project Blue Book is when we opened up MUFON. And we've sort of been doing the Air Force's job for 51 years now. And uh, that's that's how I got into this. And uh, apparently I do a pretty good job because I sort of rose in the ranks quickly. And and uh, I, I just I love what I do. I, to me, it's the most interesting thing that's happening on planet Earth. <laughs> that's a great way to put it. I, and I, I have to pause for a second here just because. As you're telling me about this, I just kept getting the flashes in my head from Star Wars when they were all sitting in the little cantina with all the different types of aliens in there having their drinks and talking. And (laughs) (laughs) that's just I guess that's just the one part of the movies that actually like sticks in my head the most, I guess. So it's kind of neat that she kind of made that comparison when she was telling you about it. And then the other kind of neat thing is, you know, the Rockwell they they have one of their main locations here about 15 minutes from where i live now um i mean it's it's they don't call it rockwell anymore it's collins aerospace but mm-hmm. you know they're still very much a major player in the game oh yeah well we had the rockwell science center out where uh, where i lived i was out in thousand oaks california and uh they had a just a sprawling facility it was about, you know, I was just like three miles away from where we lived. And my mom kind of populated that place with scientists. You know, they would sort of send, they would have her screen people for them because she was very good at that. She could tell if somebody was lying or not, more or less. <laughs> the human lie detector, yep. Yeah, she was a human lie detector. It was very frustrating when I was a teenager. You know? <laughs> Well, you know, that's that's the job of a mom. They can pick that out. Well, a lot of our listeners, they may not be very familiar with MUFON or the long long form mutual UFO network. Um, you kind of gave us a little bit of a background on it. But within it, you have a lot of different roles. You're a man of many hats, especially out in the California area. Can you kind of fill us in on what the star team is and then what the experiencer research team is? Sure. Um, Well, you know, I work as assistant state director, which is what makes me busiest. And you know that we have uh, – that everybody in MUFON, if you work as a field investigator, you get a caseload. So when I started, I, I, you know, you, you learn – we have a manual that you learn from. Uh, We're mentored – 
by our, uh, you know, by by the other field investigators that have been doing this for a long time. I, I do a lot of mentoring with people now. And uh, but you do get a caseload. If, if any of the listeners of your podcast ever see something in the sky that they don't understand, it's something that's unusual. Um, you can report it to us. You just go to move, you know, M-U-F-O-N dot com, MUFON dot com. And uh, one of the first things that will pop up is it says report a UFO. And uh, and that's kind of the wheels of MUFON right there. And and that's our, our the gist of what we do is is that we'll go in and we will research your sighting. Uh, we'll try to we'll try to figure out what natural thing it could have been. You know, I mean, sometimes people will see like the afterburner from a jet can look really strange. Uh, you've got the personal drones that everybody has now. Uh, you know, even Venus and Mars and, and the planets can can look like a UFO, especially if they're low on the horizon. So we go through and we, you know, we're very scientific about what we do. You know, Occam's razor is what I, you know, shave with every day. Um, <laughs> We, we use the principles primarily that, that Dr. J. Allen Hynek, who, who was the principal scientist in Project Blue Book for the Air Force, uh, came up with. And, uh, and those are the rules that we use. And we, uh, we try to figure out what it could be. And 90 to 95 percent of the reports that we get in are usually something prosaic. It's usually something that's either man-made or, or a planet or a drone. And you get to where you, you, you can tell what it was pretty quickly. Um, people will see mylar balloons flashing in the wind, and, and, and that can look like a UFO. So you go and you, you, you go through all the things that it could be and might be, and we'll use things like the Stellarium app, uh, which shows you where the planets are at a particular night. Uh, we'll go by, uh, you know, we'll use Weather Underground or Farmer's Almanac to see what the wind was doing at a particular time. And, and oftentimes if it's a balloon or something and it's, it's traveling to the north or the northwest, you can write it off because, you know, it, you know, you could, kind of falls into place. And it becomes obvious. But when you tick off all the different things and, and, and none of it really makes sense, you eventually have an unknown. Now, that, an unknown may be a, a starship from another world or it may be something, a secret project that, uh, that the public is not privy to yet. But it's an unknown. And uh, that's one of my great joys in life is when I can't explain something. Sure. So as a field investigator, that's what I do. Now, for the star team, I, that has kept me – it is, is not kept me busy at all because the star team, we're all about crash retrievals <laughs> and UFO <laughs> crashes. Or, or if there's a UFO that's you know just hating there, suspended in the air, and, and you are actually there and are able to document it. Um, that's the sort of thing that the star team is there for. Uh, I have never gone out on a star team case yet. <laughs> we just don't have any UFO crashes locally. It doesn't happen very often. Um, now the experience of research team actually keeps me very, very busy. Uh, I work for Kathleen Martin, who, uh, 
She's uh, Betty and Barney Hill's niece. Uh, and, and Betty and Barney Hill was the very first uh, account of alien abduction. It's back in 1961 was when they had their experience. Uh, they saw a UFO while, while driving on vacation and uh, their car was was. They stopped the car and they were more or less uh, taken in and, and examined. And, and uh, uh, it's a very, very famous case. So that's Kathleen Martin, who I work for. And uh, there is a very active, uh, very, very strange situation on our planet right now where people experience missing time where they're examined and, and you're left with, with residual evidence, marks on the bodies. Uh, sometimes with, with ultraviolet light, you can see strange marks that were left behind. Uh, and, and in working with the experiencer research team, uh, I work for uh, amongst the, there's about 45 of us that work for the, for the ERT. And most most of us, it's doctors, psychologists, scientists. Um, Dr. George Medich is is one of my main bosses, and he is uh, he was a uh, orthopedic surgeon for many years. And after he retired, he became one of the one of the directors of the ERT. So I'm really busy with them. I mean, there's a, a lot of people that believe that they have had alien uh, encounters. And uh, let's see, it was three. Of, and then chief investigator is just I that's I, I, I I'm sort of like the main investigator uh, who I sort of train all the new field investigators that we have. And uh, and I'm there to answer questions for people if, if they encounter a case that they they're having trouble with or can't understand what's going on with it. Uh, that's that's what I do in, in, under that title. So there you go. I think that's the four titles. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll admit to our listeners that I'm one that I think I have seen one. Um, we also had a, a case of the missing time when we were coming back from vacation a few years back. We were traveling through really? South Dakota. And, well, we um, have to talk. <laughs> well, that's what we're here for. Um yeah, it took us taking out breaks, bathroom breaks, gas breaks, anything like that. It took us 17 and a half hours to drive from where we were in Iowa to out to Montana to where my family is. Hmm. And the trip back took us taking out all the breaks. It took us a little over 23 and a half hours. Hmm. Same route, same roads, no road construction. Huh. Was there anything else strange that happened around it? Did you, because <laughs> just, just, uh, just wondering. No, we just kind of chalked it up as joking around that, you know, we went through a, a UFO created time warp type thing and just kind of hmm. passed it off. So, I mean, the only joke that we really got out of it was, you know, as you're traveling down I-90, there's all those. Um, big wind turbine fields, and so you see all the red flashing lights. <laughs> well, maybe maybe uh, the UFO posed as a wind turbine and picked you guys up. <laughs> Could be. Who knows? I know one case, uh, this one uh, case that uh, 
well, it's not not even just a case. It's it's an, another one of the people that I work for in the ERT that she and her husband uh, they were their their RV was literally lifted up into a UFO. They had three and a half hours of missing time, I believe it was. Um, they didn't remember much until they went and were hypnotically regressed, and then it all came back uh, to her and her husband. It was herself, her husband, and I believe their daughter. Uh, was with was with them as well, um, and the memories came flooding back. But there was a, the only way to get to them was by using hypnotic regression. Hmm. Well, maybe I'll have to look into that one of these days. It is a it is a tool. Uh, it's got there there. You need to go to somebody that that's very scientific about it. Uh, they, there's a technique called quantum healing uh, hypnotic regression where it's very time consuming, but you sort of sort of uh, they, they kind of cordon off each each part of the experience. And, and the person who's doing it will make sure that, that you're OK through that and that you're you feel peaceful about it. And then they'll go to the next part because it can be really unsettling for somebody if they don't really know what they're doing and it's just opening up pandora's box sure uh, you suddenly have all these memories coming back and, and it can be you know well you know whitley streber was anally probed you know that doesn't happen very often actually but there are people that do that that can be part of what happens when they're taken into a ufo that would probably be my luck <laughs> so you know, I mean, it's it's important to have somebody that that is is very very good at at, at you know hypnotic regression. Uh, I I prefer to to try to get to the memories in other ways if if possible. But but it is a tool, and we 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 do use it. But you don't want to do the the shortcut with it. You should go to somebody who does it the proper way. Sure. Yeah, I mean, nobody has any weird feelings, and I mean, my memory is, I, you can hear the wind blow through my ears, I think, some days, so, um, but I don't yeah. have any, any reoccurring dreams or <laughs> yeah. anything like that, so I just, I don't know, it's, it's a mystery. Well, what you could do if you want, if you if you would like to, uh, I I would I would do it actually. Uh, we we have the uh, experiencer questionnaire that you can take, and that's that's also one of the things. If you go to the experiencer research team uh, area on MUFON dot com, or if you just you know if, if you go and click on the report a UFO, it will say. Did you see a UFO or did you have uh, an abduction experience? And you can just click on that and it'll send you over to the ERT questionnaire and we'll ask you 30 different questions. And, uh, you know, usually, you know, people that have had an experience, uh, you know, it can be like five to six, seven. Sometimes you'll get people that have, you know, 20 something of, of the markers but that's one way to kind of figure out whether you guys just uh were, were driving in traffic and <laughs> and that's what slowed you down or there would be other markers there if, if you actually did have an experience so uh you can do that 
And, and, you know, for, for all of your listeners, I mean, MUFON.com, if, if you are wondering about UFOs, you're wondering about the whole phenomena, if you, you are wondering whether it's a bunch of hooey or if it's real or not, it's a good place to go. It's a good place to start, you know, because we're very scientific about the whole uh, phenomenon. And, uh, you know, I, I believe in MUFON. That's why I've kind of thrown my life at it, because it's uh, it's the one group that does it correctly. Yeah, and that's that's what I hear in a lot of the different groups that I belong to or I communicate with, with um, different paranormal teams or extraterrestrial-oriented teams. It's, you know, everybody always says, you know, if you have questions or if you want to talk anything UFO-related, the best place to go is MUFON. So you guys do have that great reputation out there for it. Thank you. Yes, 51 years, you know. <laughs> Hopefully we've learned something at this point, you know. <laughs> That's always the trick. So my last one for you, and then we'll get into some of your experiences, is when back in, oh, it would have been late 80s, I was out duck hunting with my dad, and we saw um, they looked like, I guess you could describe them almost like a Nike swoosh symbol, but the tails weren't quite as long. Um, we saw three of them in kind of a triangular pattern moving north to south. Wow. And I'm trying to trying to remember it all in my head because, you know, it's been, you know, almost 30 years ago. Um, they, yeah, they were moving north to south. We were sitting in a duck blind along a pond right out in the middle of nowhere, Iowa, because those are easy to find in the state. Um, and you can see him clear as a bell move right across the sky and just kind of disappeared by the tree line. So, but it was three of them that it was still daylight out and they were a bright whitish yellow, like almost like a ray of sun. How did that make you feel after you saw that? Well, I was young and I didn't really know what to think. Dad being dad as a, as a police officer, police chief, he was just kind of like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> well, we really respect when, when we get police officers putting in reports. I mean, that's that's who you want. You know, I mean, I want to hear everybody's sighting. You know, I want to hear what everybody saw. But if it's a police officer, they have a lot to lose by making something up, you know? Yeah, very true. But yeah, I mean, we were... This was probably about six thirty, seven a.m., maybe eight o'clock, something like that. Hmm. So it was it was the craziest what? thing because it was perfectly silent out there where we were. The only noises were the animals and the duck calls, and you could just see hmm. them move right across the sky. Quiet soundless, as could be. Huh? soundless. Yeah, yeah. UFOs aren't noisy. That's uh, you know. One of those uh, distinguishing things about UFOs, uh, you know, it's very strange. I mean, all the all the different reports that I get, if people were making things up, you would kind of, you know, it, it wouldn't cohese. But you hear stuff from people. I mean, there are certain things about UFO sightings or or a, a, an encounter with an you know extraterrestrial entity. 
there are certain things that we withhold from the public. And I, I'm not even going to tell you, I'm not going to tell your podcast what they are because it <laughs> would ruin the whole thing. But there are things that we keep from the public that we hear over and over again. And they're not things that people would, would figure would be part of, of ufology. Um, but, but strangely they'll, they'll pop up over and over and over again. Um, now one thing that I think is interesting, and this is kind of known out there, so I don't mind, you know, talking about this, um, is that, that there is a paranormal element to the UFO phenomenon. Um, I think we were talking a little bit about this before we went on air that with a lot of experiencer cases or even just close encounters with a UFO where the person sees the object close up, you know, um, that oftentimes that person will have poltergeist-like activity happen around them for the next few days, sometimes for the next week or so. Um, things will fly off or their cell phone will suddenly turn off. Uh, one thing that we hear uh that, that we've had happen with a few people is that they would walk under the street lights and the street lights would turn off. Like they would, as soon as they'd walk under it, it would be like blink right off. And then they would turn back on as they walked away from it. And, uh, I, I heard, uh, mentioned from, you know, people, uh, you know, one friend of uh, one PhD friend of mine, uh, had a, a strange uh, encounter with her sister back in the 1970s. And she was working for the uh, for the DIA at the time, so she had to keep the story to herself for a long time because it, it would have interfered with her employment. But uh, but they they had paranormal like activity happen for a few days after. So, but anyway, the poltergeist thing is is a part of ufology. It's it's very strange, uh, and I, I'm not sure exactly what it is. Uh, but, uh, what, one thing is, is that I, I think that the way that these, that, that, that they travel faster, that they get around light speed and the time dilations around all that is that they open up portals and, uh, and that kind of plays into, uh, in, into the paranormal phenomenology as well. So perhaps that has something to do with, with the poltergeist like activity that people experience. But uh, but that's one of the markers that we have for uh, experiencer cases, you know, is a poltergeist activity. It seems to happen to most people that that uh, have alien encounters. Well, and that brings up a very interesting thought process as well, um, especially bringing into that poltergeist type experience along with it, because and I mean. I, I'm going to probably kick myself for bringing up this topic, but, you know, look at the Skinwalker Ranch. It's very well known, both UFO, yeah. paranormal, ghosts, everything. And a lot of the stuff oh, yeah. that they talked about was, you know, the UFO sightings, the, the crazy spikes in EMFs and I mean, you can go out and watch the show that's on History Channel right now and see all the crazy stuff going on. I've met those guys. I actually had lunch with them at, at AlienCon in the green room <laughs> last year. <laughs> so I met the bunch of them, all the ranch hands and the new owner. Uh, uh, they were there. Really, really good guys and, and smart. And 
they're doing it right. They're doing the investigation right. Yeah, they really are. But are the original reports, you know, back before Bigelow bought it, was that they were having these UFO sightings and the cattle mutilations and all this stuff going on, UFO-related. But then at the same time, they're also talking about a lot of this poltergeist activity that was going on as well. And so you, you mentioning that really kind of kind of makes those puzzle pieces fit together a little bit nicer, if you know what I mean. Yeah, it's like a continuum. If you think about the you know, the electromagnetic spectrum, that you know it incorporates light and, and and infrared and ultraviolet and but and and we think of them all as different things but it's all one you know continuum it's like the colors of of the rainbow of a prism and uh and i think that uh that ufos kind of kind of in there with a lot of the paranormal stuff uh you know paranormal i don't think it's so much paranormal as it is it's normal we just uh, haven't realized how much a part of life uh that these things are you know whether it be a ghost encounter or an alien encounter um it's part of the universe of the world that we live in and uh and it's a continuum uh you know a friend of mine ray hernandez he's he uh is with uh, the ert sister group which was the free group uh, astronaut Edgar Mitchell started that group with with uh, Ray, and he's really come to the point of believing that there are different contact modalities with that we can use uh, to find this this uh, non-human intelligence that's out there. And for a long time, we thought that you know UFOs were strictly you know from other planets, but there's a lot of hypothesis now that it may be an interdimensional phenomenon as well. Uh, that they're not just coming from other worlds, but they're coming from other universes. And uh, that's kind of where ghosts and, and poltergeists and, and all the other unknown stuff comes from. And uh, I think Ray and his group, that they really have something. And and that's that's the way that we're kind of trending in the ERT, is that uh, it's a continuum and that the paranormal is part of that, or that we're part of the paranormal. Thing. It's strange, UFOs, you know, there's a science behind it, but then it acts like ghosts. It'll pop into existence and pop out of existence, you know? Yep, and that brings into the, I mean, we may be getting off into the weeds here anyways, but, you know, it brings in a lot of thought on the concept of, you know, what Albert Einstein used to do a lot of theories and hypothesis with, with like the wormholes, you know, it's got the opening sure. on the one side and then another opening here. And, you know, we're looking through that and seeing stuff. And there's, you know, that's completely mm. not normal for what we should be seeing. Or at the same time, you know, maybe there's something that's passing through it. So, I mean, the, <laughs> we could probably get off on an entire yeah. tangent about the different scientific theories that we can put into between ghosts we can do other aliens. shows if you want i'd love to do it <laughs> if you want to have me back because we, we, we could talk we, we could talk we could do there there's a hundred different shows in there 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 really uh there really are um because yeah you know well you know einstein his big problem with non-newtonian physics was that he didn't think that god 
play the dice with the universe. He hated that stuff. You know, when the, you know, Schrodinger came in with, with the, his, you know, the Schrodinger's cat and, and, and where, uh, things like, uh, you know, if, if, like disturbing the universe, if, if a physicist is staring at a particle of light, and he expects it to act like a wave. Well, it'll appear it'll appear as a as a wave in, in the electron microscope. If he's expecting to see a particle, then it'll become a particle. It, it's almost like what you expect is is it co-creates something with the universe. And you and UFOs, they act like they're, they're very large things that act like the very smallest things. They they are very much like. Uh, like subatomic particles, where they can disappear, reappear. Uh, it can be across the universe and suddenly be in your backyard. Uh, and I, I think that there is something to that, that there are large things that act like the very smallest things. And that's kind of, you know, the, the journey I've gone on. And, and uh, that's my theory about UFOs. And, and, and uh, so far, it's really kind of held up. For me, uh, I haven't found any contradictions to that so far. So uh, there may be something in common with subatomic particles and and uh, and the things that people see in the sky that they can't explain. Sure, and I mean, you know, you can go out even further, and you know, talking about how things appear different ways with what you're expecting. Um, it falls in perfect relation to like just here recently. I think it was. April, um, the tapes that were released by the Pentagon of the possible UFO <laughs> sightings, you know, that one of the, uh, one of How the, about that? yeah, that they was, didn't say it was possible UFO sightings. <laughs> they confirmed that they were UFOs. Yes. How they, about that? Yes, they did confirm it. That's right. I forgot. But one of the pilots in it was talking about the way it was dodging left and right, almost like a ping pong ball. Before it shot yeah. out, before it shot out of sight. So, David Fravor. Yep. Yeah, he, he was the Top Gun pilot that that uh, they sent out there. I know all those guys. Uh, it, and uh, it was a stunning UFO case happened off the Baja coast over here, uh, 2004. It was the Nimitz aircraft carrier and the Princeton destroyer. Um, and uh, Kevin Day was the radar guy on the Nimitz, I believe. And uh, they saw these objects that were going from out of the atmosphere and then coming down to, uh, to the surface of the water and then shooting back up again. And they were getting these radar hits for a week until finally they decided to send out a strike force to see what the heck was going on out there. Uh, they sent uh, a group of, I believe it was six planes, uh, F-116s uh, and... Uh, and lo and behold, the, there's this object that looks like a 40-foot-long Tic Tac candy, uh, 20, you know, 20 feet, you know, wide and 40 feet uh, or 20 feet across and, and 40 feet. Anyway, you, you you got the dimensions there. Right. And this thing was traveling at Mach 18. Now it should have been causing sonic booms. Like you should have heard eighteen sonic booms as this thing was was shooting off across the sky, but there was no sound at all. Uh, it wasn't a hallucination or a or a hologram because you don't get a radar hit off of a hologram or a hallucination. 
Um, and they caught the gun camera footage of this, which was leaked out to the public. Um, now, for a long time, it was just kind of this, you know, another UFO <clears throat> movie that was out there that you could find on YouTube if you looked really, really carefully. But, uh, you know, our one of our sister groups to the Stars Academy, uh, hey, hats off to those guys because they uh, they got this information released to the New York Times back in uh, 2017, and it changed the whole face of ufology. It really was the smoking gun case. Uh, and, you know, it, th this object was traveling Mach 18. It was making 90-degree turns without, uh, you know, defying, you know, the laws of compensation. To It should have caused a fireball. But, uh, no, it would just – it was like a Roadrunner cartoon. It would make a 90-degree turn at, you know, Mach 18. Uh, thing was shooting in and out of the atmosphere, and and then the other thing that was very strange was was that the pilots had a point that they were supposed to meet at, and it wasn't talked about on the radio. It wasn't. It was like a secret point where they would reconvene, you know, a reconnoiter point. Uh, well, when they lost track of the Tic Tac UFO. Uh, apparently, David Fravor, uh, he, he radioed back into the Nimitz and, and said, well, we're going to go back. You know, wh where did the UFO go? And they said, well, don't look now, but it's actually waiting at your reconnaissance point for you. <laughs> so this thing somehow or another either read their minds. I don't I don't even think that it was in the computer system. It, it read their minds somehow or another. It knew where they were going to meet. And it was just random, random coordinates. So we're dealing with an intelligence. We're dealing with an intelligence that can do things that we simply can't do. Uh, they're breaking all the laws of, of physics as we know them. Uh, they're not hallucinations. We're getting radar hits, and we have film footage, gun camera footage. Um, I don't think that we're alone in the universe. And, and the Pentagon, uh, remarkably, uh, a couple weeks ago, came forward and said, yes, these were UFOs. We don't know what they were. They were not us. They're unknowns. And uh, that should have been the most important news that uh, of the century or of the millennium, really. But uh, it just kind of, you know, I guess things have gotten so strange with the, you know, COVID-19 virus and all that stuff that's going on that uh, it just kind of got passed on by most of the public. But I would say that that's the most important news story of the past 2,000 years. Oh, I'm not going to argue that one bit. <laughs> well, the Pentagon more or less said we're not alone. You know, it's not Russia or China. We certainly hope it's not. Yeah, yeah no kidding. They would have. Yeah, it's 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 uh, they're they're saying we're not alone in the universe and that there's a uh, an intelligence that. Is, is way ahead of our own. Pretty interesting. <laughs> it is really interesting. Well, one of the things I was curious about, and I bet you some of our listeners are curious about it as well, too. When you go on these investigations, whether you're meeting with the um, people that are, that are reporting to have experienced something, or um, if you have the opportunity to go to a crash site, um, What's some of the equipment that you guys use? 
Um, we would use uh, a, we have a Geiger counter. Um, we had one local case uh, about three years ago where two women took chase after a couple of round shaped UFOs, orbs they're sometimes called. Uh, sort of like the little red round UFOs that were in close encounters of the third kind where you'd see the flying saucer and then you'd see it followed by the little orbs. Well, this is what these two women saw. They're at a grocery store uh, out here in, in the San Bernardino Mountain area. So they went uh, going across town trying to find out where these these UFOs were traveling and they got caught in a cul-de-sac. So the UFOs, they kept on going towards the mountain range. There was a reservoir and a, what is supposedly an abandoned Navy, uh, a torpedo base in the middle of the mountains. They call it a torpedo base. Uh, but anyhow, uh, they uh, they were stuck in a cul-de-sac and they're watching these these two orbs hanging over the mountains doing what we call the falling leaf motion, which people see with UFOs, where they're going up and down sort of in this fluctuating uh, back and forth thing like a leaf falling off a tree does. And so they were, you know, hanging there over the mountain defying gravity and, and the two women are watching this when suddenly everything lights up behind them. Uh, the two women turn around and and hovering there less than 75 feet away was a classic flying saucer like you would see in a 1950s movie. The scene was hanging over this two-story house that was there, and uh, it had lights that were multicolored that were under it. And, uh, and it seemed like it had uh, a sort of uh, like a camouflage uh, technology that either wasn't working properly, but it would flash in and out of existence. So they would see just the lights for a little while, and then they would see the whole disk. So this was an amazing case, and there was a third witness the next town over. Uh, the two women had, had reported this, and then there was another gentleman who was a, a ex-military guy in the next town over who also put in a report where he saw the same thing from a distance. So uh, anyway, we, I really kind of went and canvassed the town, you know, handed out business cards asking neighbors and other people. If, if other people had seen it, uh, the gentleman who owned the house was very religious and he did not want to talk about it. I was set to go there with we had we had a Geiger counter. I was going to use like a, a uh, arboreal ladder because this, the, the saucer was hitting sort of between the house and this big tree that was in front of his house. So we were hoping that we would be able to you know see if there was radiation that that was on the tree. Uh, using this ladder because the women actually had sort of blotchy skin after this happened. So, you know, which is one of the signs of, of being close to, you know, radiation. Um, unfortunately, the, the guy would not let us use the Geiger counter, the arboreal ladder and, and, and get samples. I, you know, tried to get some, you know, samples just from the lawn or, or but but no, he wasn't having he wasn't having it. He was going to call the police on me. So that was kind of the end of that. But, uh, you know, Geiger counter is something we would use a EMF uh, monitor like like you guys use in paranormal uh, activity. 
uh, if you've, you've had a UFO appear or somebody has seen entities, then the EMF levels will be off the hook sometimes. They'll be way up there, along with a poltergeist-type activity. Uh, other things I'll use is I'll use a theodolite camera. Uh, I use that to get the exact coordinates, you know, uh, lateral and vertical of, of where the UFO was seen, how far away it was, and, and, and where it was. Uh, in approximation to the horizon and, and, and other things that were around it. Um, let's see, what else do we use? We use a lot of apps <laughs> that anybody can use. I'll use weatherunderground.com app for finding out what the weather was like at an exact moment. Uh, sometimes if you get like uh, a balloon or mylar balloons, if they're flashing the sun back at you, it'll look like a UFO. And uh, and that gets misidentified uh, as UFOs pretty often. So I use that to find out what the the wind currents were like at a particular moment. I was even able to bust a hoax using that once because we had a guy who uh, took a video of what was supposedly a black triangular UFO, and uh, it turned out it was a kite that he built, and it went into the ocean. <laughs> this guy filmed it. And well, you know, the way I closed the case was it was kind of like, well, seeing that we didn't get any reports of a UFO crashing into the, you know, next to the, you know, Venice Beach last night. <laughs> uh, and, and considering that the air currents died at exactly, you know, 1235 a.m., which was on the video readout, uh, I'm going to call this a kite that fell into the ocean and this guy was, you know, pulling a hoax. <laughs> <laughs> Did he end up admitting to that or? No, he wouldn't admit to it, but it was pretty darn obvious. Yeah, <laughs> it was very, very darn obvious. And, and yeah, I mean, with CGI, I get people putting in hoaxes like that, too. You know, I had uh, one case that came out that looked a little too good to be true. And uh, I did a little detective work on the person, and they had a company that the motto was CGI realer than life. <laughs> we'll make your dream come true. So that that was a hoax. Uh, I've, I've caught other guys that have done intentional hoaxes with, with groups of people, you know, where they wanted to make money off of the phenomenon. And, you know, it's shameful. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of BS out there right now. And but then there's the real stuff, you know, the real the real ones. It makes it all worth it. You know, it makes it all worth it. It can be the needle in the haystack. But when you find that one real UFO, it, it knocks you out. You know, it's changed my life, changes the way I look at everything, it changes my personal philosophy. And uh, and I feel more peace about my mom's life, too. You know, she she did say, you know, it's realer than you will ever know, son. But that's not true now. I do know. You know, it's real and I know. I know it. Well, yeah. I've seen and, it. <laughs> and I'm sure back then, too, she never would have thought that there would be a group like MUFON out there that you'd be able to become such a big part of yeah. and, and they were there answers. but i didn't know about them yet and i didn't know that anybody could could do this and that's the beauty if if, if if any of you guys that are listening to this program out there if you're interested in this phenomenon you can become a field investigator yourself and you can find out for yourself uh it's very different to go and, and investigate a case and close it 
and have an unknown there than to read about it in, in a book, you know, by Whitley Strieber or whoever. And, and all those guys are great. And I, I love to read UFO books. But uh, there comes a time where you, you want to get off the sofa and you, you want to get, you know, hands on. And, and that's what MUFON is all about. And you can do it, too. You can do it, too. That, that was a great employment pitch. Ah, there you go. I, I, I believe in what we do. It's, it's really, the, you know, I mean, it, it, it kind of took over my life. You know, I mean, I, I'm a musician, and that's kind of where most of my energies went for many, many years. And I still, you know, I'm still a musician, and I still, you know, write songs and play out there and stuff. But, But this has sort of become... You know, when I'm not working, and I, I'm I'm usually you know working on UFO cases because it's just so exciting and, and it's so meaningful, you know, that we're not the only ones out there with intelligence. That you know that there are other creatures that look up to the stars and wonder and and, and have dreams and and who've crossed the universe and, and, and to to explore. And that's who I think that we're dealing with. I don't think they're conquerors. I don't think that, you know, they're evil aliens. I think that they're scientists and explorers like us. I think they're much like us. Hmm. That's a really good, good thought to ponder on. Well, I know one thing people are going to want to hear is they want to hear some of your stories of some cases that you've investigated. Why sure. Don't, why don't we get down to the end of the show here? Why don't you give us a couple of your your best investigations that you can share with us? Sure. Well, I was telling you about the uh, the one flying saucer that that was out here that was uh, three years ago. That that was that's one of my favorite cases still. Uh, another favorite case of mine is uh, I've got an experiencer case uh, where the gentleman is a homeland he's a homeland security agent. Uh, he's kind of a, a big mucky muck in, in the TSA, and uh, he's a lifetime experiencer. When he it began when he was seven years old, and he would see these uh, these creatures would come in the middle of the night. They would paralyze him. Sort of like the way that we will tranquilize a, a, a tiger or a lion before we go and experiment on them or tag them or, you know, in a lion sanctuary. And that, that's kind of the way I, I think of Earth, you know, is we're probably sort of like a big animal sanctuary to, to our visitors. They're interested. They tag us. And that's what they did with this kid. They, they would float these strange machines into his room. I thought that he was going through night terrors, but it kept going on until finally he became really used to it. And uh, he gave his ETs names. Uh, they, they were one was kind of a tall, but looked like your your proverbial gray alien that you see depicted in commercials and movies and stuff, you know. And but he had tan colored skin. And uh, and the other one was a, a little shorter and, and and but but still kind of the proverbial black eyes. And uh, but they would come in and they would float these machines in and they would do uh, strange tests on him. And this went on for many years. Uh, and it carried on into his adulthood and is still going on. 
Um, now, he told me an interesting story just uh, a couple weeks ago that uh, he was working in a major airport. I'm not going to say what state it is or, you know, it's he's not local anymore. He used to be here in Los Angeles, but now he's in another state. He's working at a major airport. Well, it turned out that the the other TSA agent he was working with, uh, she came down with the coronavirus. She's in the hospital and, and uh, he was uh, – before he found out about her being infected, because he had been working close proximity with her for at least a week, uh, he had had the first visit in, in a couple of years. Uh, sometimes the visits will slow down as a person gets older, and, and uh, we call him Andy is the name that we settled on for him. And, and it's kind of happened that way for Andy, too, that it was very busy when he was young. Now it's it'll be every year or two. But he had a major visit where they took him. Uh, there was what he considered the scientist who appeared to him like a little old lady in, in a doctor's outfit, which is not what she looked like. <laughs> but it was a screen. They, they'll, they'll use that. They'll sometimes give you a screen image of who they are because, you know, some of, some of our visitors look like giant praying mantises. You know, that, that'll kind of. You know, you're going to scream and wave your arms in the air, you know. So they appeared, the, this entity appeared as this female doctor. Uh, she's doing these tests and, 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 and giving him medications and stuff. And uh, But other than that, it was like one of his normal, normal, right? <laughs> <laughs> one of his normal uh, abductions. So... Anyway, he was it was like he called and he told me, hey, I had like this crazy. It finally happened again. You know, it's been a while. And uh, and he told me about this whole thing. And then he found out that his co-worker had, had COVID-19 and, and, uh, and was not doing real well. Yeah. So he believes that uh, that that his ETs actually made him better. That if he caught that virus, that they uh, they cleansed him of it, and you know he didn't have to <laughs> put lights down into his lungs like the president was saying that you had to do, or what was the other drink disinfectant? None of that. They they came they came into his house. They took him to uh, uh, their ship and uh, and they fixed him up. And uh, you know if you knew Andy, he's he's a boy scout of a guy. You know this guy is. You know, if, if, if there's somebody in trouble, he's there's a reason why he's a Homeland Security agent, uh, just a patriot, uh, a brainiac and, and just one of the sweetest guys I've, I've, I've met, you know, in my life. Uh, impressive person. Um, but here's this wild story. Well, if you're in close proximity with somebody who has the COVID-19 virus, you're probably going to come down with it. You know, it's not good news, uh, but for him, he's he's fine. You know, he's doing really, really well. Um, that's an ongoing case for me. You know, I, 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 I closed his case about three years ago, but especially with the experiencer cases, they keep going on and on, you know, that they'll continue to be visited or taken. And uh, and so that was like a recent uh addendum to an old case that I thought was actually kind of beautiful and, and, and uh, you know, it was a kindly thing that uh, 
our visitors did there. Uh, kind of far from, you know, Mars attacks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, all right. Well, we're getting down to the end of it. Why don't you give us one more story sure. about what, or not, not a story, but an investigation that you had. That's... I have one. Okay, go ahead. That's really, really good. Um, let me see. I'm, I'm bringing up the file here for you here. Um, this was one that um, where this gentleman was rounding the corner of uh, Pacific Coast Highway. He was up near San Diego, and if I can find it, because I want to read his account to you. Um, hold on one second. Sorry about that. I had it brought up here. I can tell you another one that's really good. I had one in Bakersfield that was a police officer. And this one I know really, I don't have to read it for you. Um, where he, he was out taking his dogs outside to do their business, and he hears this low hum, a low humming sound. And he, he looks over towards his neighbor's house, and there's a, like a 70, 80-foot across uh, equilateral black triangle hanging over his neighbor's house. And the, this, this hum is coming from it, sort of like the sound that you would hear from a transformer. Uh, his dogs didn't even notice it, and oftentimes animals will notice a UFO and they'll react to it. But for some reason, they, didn't, they, they weren't really recognizing it. So he said he stood there and he watched this thing for a while, that he could see... Uh, he could see indentations on the side that looked like air intakes or something. That, that you could see that there was something that there was definitely like electronics and stuff to this to this object. He said that you could see that there was a light on each corner of it and one large light in the middle, but the lights were turned off. That this thing was apparently in stealth mode of some kind. Uh, anyhow, he watches a scene, and, and, and he, this guy uh, happens to live at the uh, foot of the Bakersfield Airport uh, flight path. So he wasn't sure, you know, I mean, it was just the strangest thing, but it was no helicopter, you know, there's no noise, no rotor. Uh, it is hating there defying gravity, very, very weighty looking. And uh, so he decides to run into the house to grab his camera. And, of course, he does, and he, he, he grabs his cell phone, he gets back out there, and, of course, the thing is gone. It wasn't there anymore. But that was a recent case that I, I really loved. It was a, a police, a veteran police officer, uh, nothing to gain in it. Uh, he didn't want his name known uh, around the case because, of course, it could ruin his, his job for him. And why, why would he make something up like that? Yeah. And, and, and I did, I, I, I asked to see his badge. I told him, you know, take a piece of tape and redact the number and stuff if, if you want to. You know, I don't want to know your badge number or anything. I just want to, and, and he did that for me. And, and uh, so he was who he said he was. Um, we get a lot of reports like that. I get a lot of reports of black triangles out near Palmdale, too. And, and some of us, we, we think that maybe it's a reverse engineered, uh, maybe this is what we brought back from the Roswell crash. Um, the, there's uh, almost a certainty that we've been trying to reproduce 
the alien vehicles that we've seen and that there have been some crashes of. And uh, so perhaps the black triangles are that. Um, now, I have the other case that I was looking for earlier, and I, I think this will be a good one to leave you with. And I'll try to make it quick. I'm just going to let the uh, witness uh, give the statement himself. And, and here we go. And this case got an unknown from me. I've closed over 500 cases. Uh, out of the 500, I've got maybe 35, 40 unknowns. That's how I'm very, very careful about what I call a UFO. But this is one of them. Okay. I was driving home from a date late in mid-August 1992. I lived in Lomita, but it was a beautiful night, so I decided to take the long way home by taking Palos Verdes north, which snakes along the cliffs of Palos Verdes. After driving through Lenada Bay, I could see in the distance a green glow coming from Point Vincenti Cove direction. As I got closer, the greenish bioluminescent glow grew. When I rounded the corner to the turnout where the cove was, the glow by then was all-consuming, so I pulled my car over in the turnout, half expecting to see a movie being shot. I got out of my car as I walked over to the cliff's edge. I noticed three people to my left looking down at whatever was in the, in the cove. It was very unusual because I saw no other car parked where I was. It was dark, but I could tell it looked like a family of three, a mom, a dad, and a small boy. The mother had her arm around the child. I continued to the cliff's edge and peered over directly in the exact middle of the cove, hovering eight feet above the water, was what looked like a classic saucer-shaped domed craft, ringed with green lights, no more than 50 yards from where I was. It was big, at least 40 feet across, domed and had unreal skin. The closest thing I could compare it to is like a slick, oily puddle. The rainbow colors were dull but prismatic and had a swirling motion to them. Well, it began to hum, and as it did, the water beneath began to bubble and steam. I yelled over to the family, but they stood silent and motionless, mesmerized by what they were seeing, or so I thought. While I was beginning to get spooked, I wanted to see the craft submerge or take off or something. I just didn't want it to be there anymore. I felt afraid. I was getting an overwhelming feeling of dread. I couldn't believe my luck or my eyes, seeing this astonishment up so close and so personal. Well, I looked over to where the family was, but they were now rounding the corner, heading down the path that led to the water's edge. That was it. I wasn't going to stick around any longer. I got in my car and I took off. The story has been weighing down my mind for many, many years. And I really wanted to tell somebody. And so thank you so much for the catharsis. That's, that was his report that he put into us. Um, I spoke with this guy multiple times. Very intelligent man. Again, no reason to make up such a story. Uh, the emotion was all there. It was one of the things that really impressed me about him is that, you know, at certain points, you could tell that he was afraid even just thinking about it. Um, I was getting, you know, the hair was standing up on my arms when, when he was talking. Um, and I grilled the guy, and I kept the case open for about three months, because if somebody's making something up, they're going to screw up, or they're going to try to make the story better. They're going to embellish it. 
So I kept trying to trip him up. <laughs> there wasn't a second witness on this one, you know, and we want a second witness or a third witness, but you don't always get one. So you have to kind of use, uh, you know, my technique is usually I'll drill. I'll take really, really precise notes. And uh, but this guy, he didn't change the story. He didn't embellish it. The the motion was always there. And, uh, you know, it, you could tell that this was truly it was a release. It was a catharsis for him to finally get the story off of his shoulders. And a lot of people that contact us, that that's that's the case. You know, they've seen something like that. Sometimes it's years ago. Sometimes it's yesterday. Um, for Jan Harzan, who runs MUFON, he's our executive director. He and his brother saw something similar when they were children uh, living in Thousand Oaks, California, uh, where I lived, ironically, but I, I didn't know them. But uh, something like that, you'll, you'll never forget. It'll change the way that you look at the stars at night. And uh, But oftentimes people don't know where they can bring their story to. They, they don't know who that they can tell it to without being ridiculed or have an eye roll. And MUFON is where you want to take your experience. We, we, we're the people that want to hear it. And we've heard, we've heard stories like yours before. So uh, I think that's the way that I'd like to, you know, close tonight is just on, on that thought that uh, as extraordinary of a story as that is, I believe it was a real one because it, it just, it absolutely parallels with so many of the stories that we've heard from sometimes groups of people or, or servicemen or, or police officers or scientists, doctors, uh, you, you think that, you know, UFO reports come in from hillbillies and that's, that's what I always heard. You know, it's just a bunch of hicks or people that read the national Enquirer, and, but that it couldn't be further from the truth. It, it seems like the more intelligence you have, the more apt you are to, to know when you've seen something extraordinary and it changes your life. And uh, at MUFON.com, that's where you want to go and, and report your story. We'll get somebody out there to investigate it. And, uh, and, and what you experienced will be a part of UFO history. It will be part of the history books, um, which is, you know, our, the, the computer management system is where all of our cases go to. And uh, it's, it's where uh, other scientists and ufologists go when they're studying a particular uh, part of the phenomena or, you know, if they're studying triangular crafts or flying saucers, uh, whatever it is that you've seen, somebody else has likely seen the same thing. And maybe the same time that you did, you know, uh, oftentimes cases will will collate like the one with the two women I was talking about and, and the military gentlemen in the town next door. They, they didn't know each other. They were absolutely unrelated people, but they saw the same extraordinary event. Perfect. So MUFON.com, and that's uh, – there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and we'll put a link to the website in our show notes as well. Now, does MUFON also have any social media like Facebook, Instagram, anything like that as well? Sure. We do have a, a MUFON group on Facebook. I think it's just it's just called MUFON. Uh, there's one that's not related to us that uses a name called MUFON International, and that one is is more of a fan group. 
But if you go and just find the one that's just the MUFON Facebook group, that, that one is officially MUFON. Um, you can always go to my page, which is Earl Gray. Um, it, it'll say, uh, you know, I'm a nurse and a musician and MUFON's chief investigator in Southern California. And, uh, and I always have dialogue going on on my page. And uh, if you have a question or, or you would like to uh, speak with somebody who's more local to you, I can, I can usually kind of send you in the right direction. So that, that's another way you can go. <laughs> sure. All right. Well, we'll put links to all those, like I said, in the show notes. Um, Earl, I, it's been an absolute blast tonight. Yeah, for me too, Brandon. Thank you so much for having me. And I'd be happy to come back if you ever want me back on. There, there's so much more to talk about. But we talked about a lot. We did. Yeah, yeah we did. So, but there's, <laughs> we, we could keep going for, you know, many more hours. So I, I, I don't doubt that one bit. <laughs> fantastic. All right. Well, you have yourself a good night, Earl. You too, Brandon. And, and thank your family for uh, letting, letting me borrow you for the last hour and 20 minutes or what, whatever this has been. <laughs> <laughs> Not a problem. A track. <laughs> and, yeah. All right, my friend. Thank you so much. Yep. Have a good night. You too. Thanks again to Earl Gray from the Mutual UFO Network for joining us this evening. And thanks to all of you for tuning in. If you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, please remember to leave us five stars or give us a review. It helps us to get the word out about the show, and we want to hear your feedback to help make our show better. If you're an Android listener, you can follow us on Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, or Google Podcasts so you never miss an episode. Remember, if you like the show, tell a friend. You can find us on any podcast directory. My name is Brandon. And you've been listening to the best place to bring our paranormal teams a little closer together.